with fever. But the worst of it, the very worst of it, they said, was that it was impossible to know who the devil would visit next. He left no footprints in the snow. There was no knock at the door. It was as if, they said, he was the air itself, the stuff they breathed. The villagers of Underclough blamed the farmers of the Endlands, and the farmers began to wonder if they'd brought it upon themselves, if there had been some sign that they'd missed and left to fester like an open wound. Hadn't a jackdaw flown into the Kerwin's house one evening in the summer and clubbed itself to death on the walls? Hadn't the dyer's children seen a hare digging up bones in the graveyard? Then there was that warm Saturday in September when Joe Pentecost, drunk on port and pride, dropped his glass as he made the toast at his daughter's wedding breakfast. They'd all laughed at him, forgiven him his moment of clumsiness and thought nothing of it. Yet now they argued over the ritual that would have sponged away the bad luck with the spilled wine. But no one could remember what to do. Only fragments of old cautionary stories came to mind that made them throw their cats out into the snow and sprinkle their doorsteps with salt. Whatever they did made little difference in the end. Thirteen people from the farms and the village died that autumn. Their bodies were wrapped in blankets and left in outhouses and backyards until they could be taken to ground soft enough to bury them. Briardale Moss No, tell me a different story, says Adam. I know that one. All stories in the valley have to begin with the devil, I say. But there must be ones I haven't heard before, he says. You know hundreds. These last few years... I've acquired a reputation for telling stories, just like the gaffer, my grandfather. Though there are some that Adam wouldn't want to hear. Some that I'd be better off keeping to myself. Come on, he says, tell me one from when you were my age. Later, I say. We came here to shoot snipe, didn't we? He nods, in that funny way of his, and strokes Jenny's back with one hand keeping the other firmly locked in mine. You'll have to let go, Adam, I say, otherwise we can't do anything. He relaxes his grip, but still stands close to me, within smelling distance, angling his head so that he can hear the lapping of the marsh water. It's a cold spring evening, and the last of the daylight is starting to leave the moss slipping out of the valley and onto the moors, receding westwards to the sea. Dusk has already taken the colour from the fells and made the sound of water loud in Fiendsdale Clough. Somewhere in the gloom, the river moves against the banks it cut in the storms we had early last month and winds away to the black mass of solemn wood. The air feels skinned, but Adam's been a good lad, 
and not said a word about it. Like all boys of his age, he prides himself on his toughness. The ability to endure without tears is a badge all sons want to wear for their fathers. Still, I know that he's asking for stories because he wants distractions. I know that he's trying his best not to show that he's scared of being so close to the water. Remember what I told you to do, I say, dropping one cartridge and then the other into the browning that Dada passed on to me, the over and under with the walnut stock. Now, says Adam, I'll tell you when. Another couple of years and I should have been teaching him to shoot on the moss. I was shooting at twelve. Woodcock and pigeons and pheasants. Things we could eat.